please stand. And I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, in which Paul thanks God for the church in Ephesus. I'm feeling very, very thankful for Metrocrest. Well, as Paul wrote this letter, he was feeling very, very thankful for the church in Ephesus. This is what he had to say. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to be together today. Uh, please send your sovereign Holy Spirit upon us. Pry open our cold hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your voice as you speak to us through your word, that we might hear you, Father, obey you, and rejoice in you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen, please be seated. Uh, we really did spend a lot of time over a long, leisurely dinner together uh, thanking God for this church and all that God has been doing here through good times and some tough times. God has been gracious. God has been faithful. And it was wonderful to be with some friends who knew what, all about that and we shared it together that Wednesday night just a few days ago in Birmingham. And we really did pray for you. The last thing we did before we parted company that night was to pray for Metrocrest. Well, here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, Paul is praying for a church that he also knew and for which he was also thankful. Uh, he had helped plant the church in Ephesus. He'd been one of the people who brought the gospel into this uh, pagan capital, one of the most important cities of the day, uh, uh, economic and cultural and political center, a uh, place of great significance. And he had planted the church there. And uh, working with his co-workers, he had seen God do amazing things. And so he was very, very thankful. And as Paul often did, he begins his letter to them here in verse 15 by saying not only did he, that he prays for them and thanks God for them, but he does not cease to give thanks for them, remembering them in his prayers. It wouldn't be interesting to know what 
Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. Wouldn't it be helpful for you and me to know how Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus so that we might know how to pray for one another, how we might know to pray for Metrocrest at the dawn of this new stage in our church's life with so much opportunity in front of us and some lessons that we've learned. Wouldn't it be wonderful to know how Paul would pray for a church that he loved like we love Metrocrest? Well, good news. Because the very next thing he does is tell us exactly how he prayed for them. And I want to suggest to you guys uh, this morning that uh, as we approach our the beginning of our 34th year of grace, uh, moving into our 35th year of grace, that this would be a great way for you and me to pray for Metrocrest Presbyterian Church. As we thank God, let us pray for our church. And I just want to note, draw to your attention what it was Paul prayed. Verse 17, he prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul first prayed for this church that he loved and he's grateful for that they would grow in the knowledge of God. Uh, That's a very good prayer, (laughs) that we might grow in the knowledge of God. Um, I mentioned last week a wonderful book called Knowing God by Dr. J.I. Packer, who's a hero of mine, and uh, he wrote this book uh, many years ago. It's become a bestseller and has become one of the most influential books uh, written in the 20th century, moving now into the 21st century. I just want to read uh, a couple of sentences from the beginning of chapter 2, where uh, he talks about knowing God. This is what he has to say. We need, frankly, to face ourselves. We are, he's writing to an evangelical reader who's taking the time to buy and read his book, right? So he's writing to people like you and me. He says, we are perhaps orthodox evangelicals. We can state the gospel clearly. We can smell unsound doctrine a mile away. If asked how one may know God, we can at once produce the exact right formula that we come to know God through Jesus Christ the Lord in virtue of his cross and mediation on the basis of his word of promise by the power of the Holy Spirit via a personal exercise of faith. And we're folks who can probably do that. You may have very well been paying close attention as we've been reading our way through the Shorter Catechism, as we talk today about prayer, you might very well be one of the many people who can maybe even remember exact words because in Metrocrest and in the Presbyterian Church in America, we take our doctrine very, very seriously. We tend to know these things. And you might very well be able to call all those important details to mind. But he adds this. Yet... The gaiety, goodness, and unfetteredness of spirit, which are the marks of those who have known God, can be rare among us. Rarer, perhaps, than they are in some other Christian circles. He says, one can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of God. We can know a lot about him, but not actually know him. 
See, that's part of what Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. He'd been busily teaching them about God. He'd been teaching them about the gospel. He'd done that himself. And now what he's praying is that they would not only know about God, but that they would actually grow in the knowledge of God. That they would know him. Dr. Packer wrote a whole book about that about how we can grow in the knowledge of God, that we can actually know him in a personal relationship. Well, that's, that's very much my prayer for us at Metrocrest, that, that we would grow more and more and more in the knowledge of God as we see him in his son, Jesus Christ, as we experience him by the power of the Holy Spirit that moved Paul to write these words and is still at work moving the church. Isn't that a great thing to pray for our church that we would grow in the knowledge of God, that that we would teach these children. Uh, I share Will's excitement about the idea of these halls being filled this week with 36, 37 wiggly kids who've come in to have a good time and get to know Jesus, to really get to know God through Christ. Please, please pray that they'll have a good time, that they'll be safe, and that they will grow in knowing God. Not just about him, but to truly know him. Notice Notice how Paul puts it. He says uh, that, that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, writing about the church in Ephesus, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul's going to go on to write much more about this in the rest of uh, his letter to the church in Ephesus. He has a great deal more to teach us and teach them about what God is uh, doing and how we are involved in that. And he's just praying here at the beginning of the letter that, that God would give the Ephesian church the eyes of hearts that are enlightened, whose, whose eyes have been opened. I often pray that when, I, when I'm praying in my sermon prayer, I often pray it, that the Lord would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that he would give us grace to see what he wants us to see and to hear what he wants us to hear. And that's my prayer, not only for our VBS this week, it's my prayer for our children's Sunday school program. It's my prayer for our adult Sunday school program. It's my prayer for Joseph and the work with our junior and senior and middle school kids that they would have their eyes opened so that they would be able to see the glorious goodness of God, the riches of his glory that's been poured out on the saints, sinners like you and me. That That is so much my prayer that God will be doing that among us. I'm praying that for those families that come. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to host some people who have never been to our church before. They may not know anything about Metrocrest. They may know nothing about the Presbyterian church. In fact, it's not impossible that they will know very little about Jesus at all. 
what a privilege it is that God has given us to welcome them and in word and deed to show the glory of God. You may not feel glorious. You're just welcoming, welcoming the kids and the families. You're just making sure everybody's safe. You're just teaching the lesson you've been told to teach. You're doing your best. You may not feel glorious, but brothers and sisters, that is glorious. And thank you for doing it. Thank you for being willing to do it. You know, Paul's praying that the knowledge they had in God of God would, would grow. That they would become more and more aware of the spirit of wisdom. More and more aware of this revelation and the knowledge of God. It was a growth thing that he had taught them. They'd been well taught by the apostle himself. But he was praying that they would grow more deeply in that. So wherever you are, wherever our guests this week will be, wherever uh, we find ourselves at any moment in time, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus and my prayer for us here is that we would all grow. Wherever we start, that we would grow more and more and more. You see, we never stop growing in Christ. We don't ever get to the point where we have nothing else to learn. This side of glory, we will be learning our whole lives. We'll be learning more and more and more about the glory of God. The the wisdom, the inheritance. Let's pray that way for our church. Let's pray that God would would help us to grow in the knowledge of him. Uh, Will mentioned the uh, Ad Interim Committee on Domestic Abuse and Sexual Assault. Um, This was a huge step for our church. Uh, It was a painful step. Uh, at, when the PCA discussed this last week, I got to tell you, uh, more than once I thought about our painful experience at Metrocrest. Uh, we've learned something about this reality. And there, there are people in this room who have experienced it firsthand, who know the pain, the grief. Um, one speaker talked about it in terms of post traumatic stress syndrome. We were told that the only group of people more likely to experience intense PTSD over a long period of time uh, are men who've been in war. But only those who've been, men and women who've been in war, only they have a more intense experience of PTSD than survivors of abuse. Well, I'm praying that we grow in the knowledge of God in the context of that experience. What does it look like? How do we do it? It's not something you snap your fingers and pass a report on. What what this committee actually said was, let's find out more about what we need to do. How can we do this in a more Christ-honoring way? How can we grow as a church? In loving people who've endured this awful experience. How can we help them in Jesus' name? And that's my prayer for us here too as well. That we will grow in knowing how to love one another well. In the midst of all the messiness of life. The church lives in a messy world. We bring messiness in with us. Hurt, grief, sin. 
We all bring that in the church with us. And it's within that context that Paul prays the church would grow in wisdom and in knowledge. Let's pray for that. That'd be a very, very good thing for us to pray for as a church as we approach a new year. Pray for growing knowledge of God. Uh, but Paul doesn't stop there. Look, look at what he goes on to pray. Look at, uh, well, backing up again to verse 17. I do not, 16. I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That's prayer point one. Prayer point two, look down at verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in, the age, in this age, but in the one to come. Paul prayed that the church that was growing in the knowledge of would grow in the knowledge of God's power. And I think one of the things we wrestle with today is even those of us who, who know something of God, well, I think there's a sense in which we've lost an understanding of God's power. I know so many Christians where uh, we've just kind of because we live in the cynical age, the skeptical age in which we live, uh, because we've gotten old and uh, we've maybe lost that initial enthusiasm and we just kind of begin to lose confidence, knowledge in God's power. I think we all wrestle with that, just Believing and trusting in the God whom we know who is all-powerful. Now, I love the way Paul puts it. Uh, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. Not only is he powerful, it's immeasurably great, this power that he has. And that, Paul says, he uh, directs it towards us who believe God is powerful. You know, I, I got a little reminder of that this week. <laughs> um, I've been involved in the pro-life movement for my entire life. Uh, the time I was young enough to know about the issue, I was very interested in it and got involved in it. And not, not as a political issue, but as a moral issue, as an issue of deep personal conviction. Uh, my family's been involved with it. But I've got to tell you, I'd begun to give up the idea that it was possible for our country to take a positive step on that controversial and difficult and complex issue. I'd just begun to think we were going to have to make do. And then, lo and behold, this week, the week of Juneteenth, God, miraculously, if you ask me, moved some judges in Washington, D.C., for the first time, to say no to that law in our country. 
Uh, he's kicked it to the states, so it's going to be something we continue to talk about. But rather than it being in the hands of a few unelected judges in Washington, um, it's now in the hands of the people's representatives. And whatever your opinion may be, you have the opportunity to have a voice. And I take that as a miracle in a democracy. That in, again, we have a choice. We can, we can actually express our thoughts, our opinions. We can talk to our legislators. We can talk to our governor. We can talk to our congressman. You can write the president. You can take a position. And you have the privilege of having a voice in that community decision. It has not been taken away from us. It has been returned to us. And as far as I'm concerned, that is a miracle. Now, it's not a high fives miracle because like racism, it is a complicated issue. There are hurting people on this issue. If you have many conversations about this issue, you'll quickly discover the intense feelings that people have about this issue. So this isn't something high fives victory lap. It's more like now the real work begins. Now, we get to actually, as Christians, show love towards not only the unborn that we want to defend, but towards the, the living, the born, the ones who have to pay the bills and endure the pregnancy and go through all the twists and turns of life. And I'm praying that the church will step up, that the same God that miraculously brought about this day in our country's history that that same God would now in his people make us his faithful servants who will show the love of Jesus to people who are stuck in often difficult circumstances Amen. that we will love them that we will reach out to them that we will care for them you know one of the ministries Metrocrest supports is called human coalition and human coalition is pro-life I love that. But they're pro-life in the fullest sense. Human Coalition, our partner on this issue, they take a position, let's help those mothers and those daddies. Some who are poor and confused and don't have support around them. Let's help them. Let's, let's give them diapers. Let's give them classes. Let's help them. Let's show the love of Jesus to them. Not judge them and put them down and push them away, but draw them in and show them love. That's a lot harder to do. But that's where you see the power of God at work, not only towards us, but actually in us as he stirs us and makes us what he calls us here, the, the body of Jesus Christ. See, we're, we're not just simply observers. We're not simply people who ask God to do things. We do that. But you see, the wonder of the church is we get to be Jesus' body. And that doesn't just mean we get together and we share close fellowship. We do that. But we actually get to do the work of Jesus in the world today. That's what the body of Jesus does. The body of Jesus is the, the community of people empowered by God himself who shows love. And Paul was 
Paul was praying that the church in Ephesus would come to see that, that they would come to know the fullness of the power of God towards them and in them and through them. I think that's a great prayer for us at Metrocrest. That, that we would grow in knowing God and loving God and being convinced by his word and the truth of his word and that we would be a community grounded in that truth, the truth of who God is, that we would be grounded there and then that we would be his agents in the world to fulfill his purposes. We just finished up the Lord's Prayer. You know how the Lord's Prayer finishes? That, that God's kingdom would come, that his kingdom would be over everything. His glorious kingdom. He is coming. Kids learn all about that next week. He is coming. And as we await Jesus' arrival, as we await the consummation of all things, you and me, broken down sinners that we are, imperfect we get to be a part of God's work. We're Jesus' body. What a privilege that is. What a blessing that is. I'm praying that for me and my family and for our church that we would become more and more and more like the God we know and that we would seek to proclaim his name and do his work. Please join with me in praying for that. Pray with me that God would to do that in our day. Well, um, next week, we're going to continue to look at what Paul has to say to the church in Ephesus, and we will learn yet more about what we are called to do as God does his work through us.